0: Hello! Welcome back to the Amplifying Voices for Youth podcast. We are finally here with an actual full episode. Can you even believe it? I got to chat with a really, really awesome person this week. Patricia Wilson is a conservationist from Ontario, And she also, in addition for working for a land trust, just founded the Diverse Nature Collective, which is a community space for BIPOC nature lovers, environmentalists, conservationists. I would really encourage you to check out um, her Instagram. It's at Diverse Nature Collective. Patricia and I talked about a whole lot of stuff that is really interesting and um, ended up having actually some conversation afterwards too. Um, so stay tuned after the episode for a little update about that. Um, let me know if you have questions for Patricia and I'm happy to answer those in the next episode. Thank you for being here and enjoy this chat with Patricia Wilson from Diverse Nature Collective. Hello. Hey, Patricia. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you?
1: I think I'm still connected. Are you here? Yep, yeah, I am. How are you? I'm good, thank you.
0: I'm so glad we could coordinate this.
1: Yes, me as well. This is exciting. This is the first time I've ever been on a podcast. <laughs>
0: Amazing. Well, you're joining a group of like three other people. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> this is a little, a little tiny one, but it's really fun. Um, and I was actually just trying to remember how I found your account. I feel like someone that I follow follows you or post about you or something. But so you was are- it
1: was it Canadian bushcraft?
0: Oh, yes. Yeah. (laughs) That'd be my friend, Caleb. Yes, Yes, it totally was.
1: That's funny. Yes. I I got like, as soon as he shared my first post, I, he like shared on Facebook and Instagram. Oh man. I had like, 200 followers in a day it was wild
0: (laughs) that's so awesome the power was awesome right like yeah yeah that's so great um well so do you want to tell us a little bit about like who you are and what you do and diverse nature collective which is so cool um yeah just give us a little background
1: yeah, absolutely. So my
0: name is Patricia
1: Wilson. I am, so I am um, a conservationist. I I uh, am in love with the environmental uh, world and the environmental sector, and I've been working in this sector for six years. I work for a land trust, so I work for Kawartha Land Trust, which is local to Peterborough and the Kawarthas, and I've been working there for Oof, like five years now. Um, and I started off as a volunteer and then I worked a couple of different contract uh, positions with them. Um, and then they've hired me now full time permanent, which is great. I'm their community conservation coordinator, which is just a really fancy way of saying that I do kind of a lot of different things. I, I'm a, kind of a community engager. I work towards building community partnerships, um, but I also kind of help coordinate all of our volunteers um, to do on the ground restoration and stewardship projects and um I also kind of work with First Nations engagement as well so I do kind of a bit of everything um which is a lot of fun and yeah yeah
0: what does the land trust do what's like the mission of the land trust yeah so a
1: lot of people don't know what a land trust is or what land trusts do um but they are quite popular um in Canada and the United States um And so a land trust basically is an organ, a nonprofit organization that protects and preserves land. So we can take on donations of land. um, So people can donate land to us to protect it. So it just makes, we basically make nature reserves out of these uh, parcels of land that get donated to us. Uh, Recently, we've just started kind of um, raising money and and actually being able to purchase property, which is awesome. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a really cool way to conservation, right? Because you're protecting land. So it never gets developed, but then you can also help restore the land there. Um, and it's, a gr- it's great. Like we have a couple of properties that we kind of leave natural, but then there's a lot of properties too, that we, um, have nature trails for people to get out and connect with nature. So it, it is really great to kind of preserve these natural assets, especially close to urban areas. I mean, we're there, we're getting fewer yeah. and fewer and, of them. Right.
0: Yeah. And you said, um, that there's also some work with the First Nations communities?
1: Yes, that's right. So we've been engaging with um, First Nations communities within our area um, to to try to uh, incorporate um, indigenous knowledge into our stewardship practices on our land and also to help uh, figure out how we can um, have First Nations led, uh, conservation, um, and management of properties. Right. Um, and it it is, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. We work with Gary Pritchard right now. He, um, is with uh, uh, four directions of conservation consulting. So we've been consulting with him, and he's been helping us kind of develop some strategies and, and engagement and in, um, indigenous engagement um, strategies and things like that. So it's been it's been really insightful, and I've been learning a lot. <laughs> yeah. Oh
0: my gosh. I bet. Um, and so then, what was your path to Diverse Nature Collective, and what are you hoping to do with it?
1: Yeah, so I've always been passionate about the outdoors and engaging with people and getting them passionate and excited about, you know, planting trees and, and, you know, protecting nature. And But one thing that's been very frustrating for me is the lack of representation in the environmental sector in general, right? And if you look yes. across any sort of like environmental, environmentalism and conservation as a whole, is predominantly white and, and 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 you know racialized voices have not been part of co- these conversations um and they've right. actually been deliberately excluded right and so exactly.
0: like it's so not- it,
1: yeah and you see that in um this field a lot and so it's been really frustrating because i've been like i want to see other people that look like me doing this work and i think it it would be great um and and it's just it's not just you know it, with nonprofits in Peterborough, it's it's kind of in general, if you look at any of of these kind of different organizations, there's just a huge lack of representation and, and a lack of diversity. Um, and so, you know, my my organization has been working hard to do some training and we've been working on strategies and, and working internally. And, you know, it's a slow process. It, 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 it takes a long time um, in within organizations sometimes. And for me, I just kind of, you know, wanted to do... Something now, and that yeah. I could control, and and find those voices, and so that's what led me to starting diverse nature collective, so that I could find you know diverse voices within Peterborough and the Kawartha's, um, and to kind of create a space that's safer for us individuals to kind of collectivize, to share knowledge, um, to build skills, and to do our own like stewardship and and, and conservation work. And and the hope that as this grows, you know, we can be, um, and once I work towards incorporating as a nonprofit, we could be financial contributors on projects and collaborate with other, you know, nonprofits and and just really kind of push BIPOC voices to the front.
0: Definitely, that's amazing. And so it's, geared toward people who are working in conservation primarily?
1: No, actually. So um, I am looking for people who are just environmentally minded, and you can have a background in conservation, but that can also be a barrier, right? And, and and we see that a lot in the environmental field. Oftentimes, you know, BIPOC individuals, they don't see themselves in this field, so they don't pursue this path, right? Or they don't educate themselves on, or they don't get educated on you know, um, conservation and and environmental work, right? And, and because they don't see themselves there, they they think that this isn't something that they can participate in. This isn't conservation isn't for them, right? Right. And that's not true. And so I'm looking for people who have knowledge, but who don't have knowledge, because we can share knowledge. I mean, we all start somewhere. And I think it's about more so about collectivizing, getting people who are nature enthusiasts out want to learn and wanting to learn more about how they can help Our planet and how they can help contribute towards conservation, and that's how you get more people on board to to you know help fight against climate change and and to to kind of help with environmental initiatives, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And creating that community around it, um, absolutely. uh, Yeah, it's a game changer, right? Like once we have community, it all changes for us. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's so cool so cool and I'm really glad that we've connected yeah Um, me too it's like the (laughs) good part of social media you know like you you get a chance to know people you would not cross paths with otherwise so
1: yeah absolutely it's like one of the only one of the very few positives we've had (laughs) in this time you know
0: (laughs) exactly exactly um well thank you for sharing that um and I did warn Patricia before this that I, I like to ask this question. Um, but one of the first things I would love to just hear about is what you um, consider representation. What does representation mean to you?
1: Yes. Yeah. So representation for me means, you know, the portrayal of people from different cultures and backgrounds, people uh, with diverse perspectives and experiences and and having more than one type of person or more than one, one perspective. Um, Yeah. I thought a lot about, about your question and, and that's kind of how I would, I would deem, you know, what representation is. Right. And, and yeah, that's what representation means for me.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I love that idea that, um, you know it has different perspectives um like different voices coming into play um I think that's so important in all of the narratives you know is we don't even necessarily realize the impact that it has when we're just hearing from the same people over and over again Oh, absolutely. And conservation, I mean, it was really cool to see actually this Earth Day here um, because people were, I think, thinking a lot more critically about it. For some reason, this was really the first year that I saw um, kind of the masses um, and not just the people who are activists and constantly trying to get us to to think critically, um, talking about like the racism and colonialism that's so entrenched in even the things like Earth Day, um, that are so part of our like mass narrative and like the do-gooder, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Um, and so I would love to hear like what, you know, when you were studying and going through this path, because, um, it, it sounds like you've done, you, you did your undergrad, and then you've also done, like, a, another kind of, is it a master's program, or?
1: No, so, yeah, so I went to, I went to Trent University, and I did my undergraduate in, um, and I have my diploma in um, um, biology, and I specialize in conservation biology, and then I also went to college, and I took, um, So I have my degree, sorry, in biology and I specialize in conservation biology. And then I also have a diploma from Fleming College in ecosystem management.
0: Oh, so cool. Yeah. Throughout all those experiences and then going into the land trust and all of that, did you um, feel like you saw representation? um, and, And if so, what was that? like? What was the representation you saw? And if not, like the impact of that, obviously you started diverse nature collective. So you see a need for it. Yes. <laughs> I'm curious, yeah. You know what your experiences were um, in that field, because it does, it does tend to be such a kind of whitewashed industry.
1: Absolutely. So it's interesting because when you're in school, I mean, you, have more diversity in the classroom, right? I found anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, Trent was a little bit more white, uh, but, it, it, you know, it was a larger school. When I went to Fleming, you know, it was a bit more diverse, and we did d- definitely did have, like, a, a, a better mix of students, um, still the minority in the class, but, but there was yeah. a mix of students. But but it's interesting though to see that representation in the classroom and then that diversity in the classroom. Right. Um, and like you have students, you know, international students, you know, you've, you've people, you know, coming in from more, you know, diverse urban populations coming to school. Right. So that you, that's where you get, you know, more diversity, but then coming into the field, I, I honestly, it's very rare to see another person of color. Right. Wow. Um, it, it, and it is kind of, it's wild. I, um, Every year, our organization, we attend the Ontario Land Trust Alliance Conference, and there is no one else that looks like me <laughs> there at all. Um, and, wow. and you see it everywhere, right? It, it's interesting. We don't have, a, in the United States, they've been working the last couple of years on getting statistics about representation. Mm-hmm. Um work towards more diversity and inclusion within the nonprofit and within the environmental sector. So they have a lot of statistics, but Canada doesn't And there's actually, there was an article posted about how they're look kind of looking into that now and, and, and getting those stats. But I did a quick kind of Google search a few weeks ago and I was looking, I went through all of the nonprofits, the environmental nonprofits that I know, and I checked out their board and trustees because they often post photos. And it's like less than one percent representation. Like they're most almost oh all, all white. And then even, you know, last week was volunteer week. So a lot of the different organizations that I follow on social media were posting, you know, thank yous to their volunteers and posting mm-hmm. pictures of, you know, when people could collectivize and there was groups of people. And and I didn't see any diverse individuals. Right. Wow. Like there's no one at all. Right. And it and it, it's 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 pretty wild. Um and it's frustrating, and it's it's hurtful because I think it can be really challenging as a BIPOC individual trying to get into this industry. So if you, I mean, there's a lot of intersectionalities and a lot of issues, so <laughs> more than what we have time to get into. But I mean, I I mean, I have friends who are international students, and because their names are hard to pronounce, they're they're more often um, you know passed up for job opportunities, right? Um, and you know it's hard as a BIPOC person trying to get jobs within this field, um, you know, because of a lot of diff- of those different barriers. And then when you are, I mean, I've heard stories from friends who are within other organizations that you know a little bit of tokenism happens, yeah. right? And that can be really hard and heavy and challenging to deal with, right? And you know, it is difficult with nonprofits and stuff like that as well, because I often find with really small nonprofits, maybe they don't have that great of like an HR kind of department. Mm-hmm. There's no way to like, or if you're like that diverse voice that's kind of trying to push for change or just yes. like different things, it's hard to have your voice listened to. You. And it's really hard. A big barrier is a lot of the work in the environmental sector in general is contract, right? You're only there for a small amount of time getting a permanent job within a nonprofit organization is so hard and it's challenging and you don't want to make waves. And especially being a BIPOC individual, if you're trying to advocate for change in a predominantly white um, organization, it can be hard and it can be intimidating and it can be a little bit scary because organizations aren't receptive because a a lot of white people's first kind of, um, uh, feelings towards any sort of, you know, changes and, 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 you know, or criticism, you know, uh, is, is to be defensive. Right. Yes. And then that could be harmful for you because maybe you're not going to get a good reference from them because they think you're, you're difficult or, right, you, yeah, know, you
0: know, what, again, it's putting that emotional labor and kind of the, the risk on, you know, the colonially marginalized folks who are in an organization. Yeah. Oh, that's so challenging.
1: Absolutely. And it should be up to the organizations to recognize, hey, we are obviously lacking in diversity here. What can we do? And 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 it's just, it's very interesting. Um, I do follow a lot of really awesome BIPOC-led pages. And a Mm -hmm. lot of what they've been saying is that they see a lot of these organizations coming out to workshops and stuff that they've been guest speakers at or what have you. And they are recognizing these are the same ones coming over and over and over again, but it doesn't look like they're making any sort of changes yes. within the organization, right? Yes. So it yes. almost seems performative.
0: Yes, the optics of it.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and it's it's challenging, right? Because it's like, okay, you can attend as many, you know, workshops that talk about the importance of diversity and inclusion within your organization and within this field, but but if you're not actively working towards it, in your organization, then you're not contributing to change and progress and you're part of the problem, right?
0: Right, and I think this is like what people have been talking about a lot recently is like the, the liberal left, the progressives, you know, you think of yeah. conservation as mm-hmm. a place where they might be getting it right because it's like by virtue of the work, it's people who believe that the land should be conserved, and you know, you talk about like working with First Nations. You know, you you sort of get this assumption, um, yes, like oh, these are the people who are doing it right,
1: right, and
0: they're not. And no. the left doesn't tend to be so good at examining the systems and structures that it's like patting itself on the back for. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) And so I feel like you know, um, it's important. It's so important to have these conversations, and realize how really systemic all of this is, and that there aren't industries that are just like exempt from needing to do this work.
1: Absolutely. It's it should be across the board, right? And
0: and I think it all has to do like it's all
1: about how you go about doing it and it's all about your intent right because I also too find that a lot of organizations will you know pat themselves on the back like you said for engaging with First Nations right and I'm like yeah, yeah yeah we've done this but but what they're but what they don't have anything to show for it because what they've done is they've gone and they've done their duty to consult and they've checked that box right. and then they've left that community and that's it and 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 that's wild to me because what you should be doing is not only going to this community you know you should be you should be building a relationship that's mutually beneficial. Like, how are you uh, benefiting this first nations community yes. and, and, from, and helping address some of the issues that they're having. Right. I mean, for a first nation, like from a land trust perspective, you know, first nations communities, it's not easy for them to be able to own land for no. protection. Right. right. So, so that's a huge barrier for them for conservation. Right. And so like, how can we be the answer? And I, I'm fortunate, like, you know, with our organization, you know that's something that we're working on, and 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 we're striving for that mutually beneficial relationship because it's so important, and because it's performative not to, right? Right. And and it's the same with your organization wanting you know, wanting to have more diverse and in, and in, in, inclusion. This is across the board. I mean, a lot of people get into these situations where okay, we need diversity because we have to check a box, or the government won't give us something if we don't. Di- you know um have diversity so they do that like diverse hire or whatever but but those those are so probably like doing things like that is so prob- problematic for so many reasons you know it's tokenism but it's, it's it's also building that resentment in your organization with other employees and and maybe you're hiring someone who might not be as qualified or or have the skills because you're trying to check a box and, and it's just it's yeah. all difficult but also too in terms of like hiring practices both in nonprofit and non uh, nonprofit, it, it's very colonial, right? Yeah. Like we you, you look at people's experience that they have on paper, and oftentimes we're discounting experiences that they didn't get paid for, which yes. is wild. And then we're also discounting their exp- their life experiences and knowledge that they've learned that's been passed down from other uh, you know generations, right? And, and and you know, and and why are we discounting that? And and but that's how the hiring system is now right and and so and and even in the whole environmental and conservation movement I mean black and indigenous voices have been removed from the narrative on purpose yes. and it's because yes. their experiences have all been you know store through storytelling through experience like through you know passed down from different generations and it, it's 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 things that they've all learned but it, it's it wasn't deemed valid because it you know wasn't on paper and so yeah. here we are And that's,
0: that's like a big kick that I've been on recently. So I'm in Minneapolis and Minneapolis has been in the news a lot. Um, so obviously we have George Floyd and Dante, Wright, And there has been a real push in the last, um, year or two, not to say it wasn't happening before, but mutual aid has become, um, a really important form of support for the community. And It's been really great to see so many people speaking out about how um, only being willing to support like a 501c3 nonprofit organization is such a colonialist way of giving. Like the fact that even in your giving or your philanthropy, you want it to be tax deductible and you want it to be like traceable so you know exactly what money is going where and it's like that's not generosity then yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) all of it has been so colonized and it you know all of these industries need to do so much work and like you're talking about checking off the box and it's just I feel like that's the real risk is now the industries that need change so badly have picked up on like the buzzwords and yes. they'll do their like diversity and inclusion higher. And, um, you know, all of these performative things, they'll reach out and have, you know, these consultants and they'll post about it or whatever. Um, and then that's where it stops. They don't actually look within and yeah. make systemic changes. Yeah. And that's when I think, what you're doing, bringing people together I mean that is really powerful.
1: Yeah, thank you i I, I think so too I, I think I think you know it's it's interesting because like it's often, <laughs> it's funny because before this pandemic I wouldn't have connected with people from the United States. You know, normally, yes. right, and and I wouldn't have connected just just because I'm not really on social media in that way, right? But we've all been connecting in that way, and 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 through that, you know, I've been meeting a lot of different people, different voices from all over, and it's so nice to even have that virtual community. And then, you know, I think, you know, it's it's super empowering. And last year it was a heavy year in the United States, you know, but you know the the ripple effect here in Canada, and 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 it's interesting because the optics for us, we act like we are. So much better, and you know we're we're not racist here, and and all this stuff. It's like no, we're we're just a little bit more secretive about our racism, but it's it's totally. I mean, the whole system, you know, is is deep rooted in racism, and. And so it's so it's very interesting, um, you know, but it it was a heavy year this last year, you know, with the pandemic and everything going on. But it it was cool because I I, I got to meet a bunch of people. I mean, there's this little organization called Kaleidoscope Nature Canada and uh, a woman named Rhiannon, she started it and she kind of got. She collectivized a bunch of different BIPOC individuals across Canada, and so we have a page, and that's that's where I started kind of chatting and meeting and seeing all these people because I knew about all these different organizations, you know, like Color the Trail and and you know Outdoor Brown Girl World and stuff like that, and seeing people that look like me in the outdoor Mm -hmm. world. Badasses, I mean, it's so great, right? And 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 that was super inspiring, and it and it made me feel less scared to to kind of start something like this in my community because yes. i been supported by people virtually from other areas and and across Canada, and so it's it's nice to feel that support. And so like even just having this collective here in Peterborough, I'm hoping to get those voices and people who who maybe are conservation minded and environmentally minded or uh, um but haven't had the opportunities to experience you know, conservation work and whatever. And and, and I want to bring us all together to empower us to do work here in this community.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, one thing I think about a lot is, um, you know, you talked about how, in your university experience, there were, there was diversity in the fellow students. Yes. Um, was there diversity in terms of like, the texts you were reading like who wrote them and your professors and things like that um
1: definitely not in the textbooks mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> which is what
1: most of us would tell you in you don't see anyone that looks like us you know in textbooks in 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 you know, and and that it, that that really kind of Goes to show the narrative there. Yeah. Professors, I did have some diverse professors. It still is mostly white, but I, I, I was fortunate to have a couple of d- like different, um, you know, professors, and and of course like Fleming College here in in Peterborough and like Kawartha's the Lindsay campus, the one I went to, and and they've got some amazing indigenous professors there, which is oh, awesome. That's so great. Um. Yeah. So I mean. But, but yeah no there is a lack of diversity in teachers there's a lack of diversity diverse representation in like the literature that everyone yes. is, is being taught right and it is because it's westernized right' it's, it's, it's a westernized lens that we look through everything and even conservation in general right is yeah. very westernized and and it's only now that people are starting to try to reach out to indigenous communities to incorporate, indigenous knowledge because it makes sense right they're the original stewards of this land and we're not not listen to them and look at where our world is going right
0: right right so yeah and there is one approach so much um you know the voices that people are exposed to from obviously that's like my (laughs) kind of focus is um (laughs) You know, representation through essentially through storytelling and through the narratives, but yes, like you don't even realize how colonized um, even the presentation of fact is. You know, yes. like if you're reading a textbook, it's all your your thinking matters, and then yes. you also have a white teacher. Yes. Um, and you go to an organization that's mostly white. It's like you never get out of that cycle.
1: Yeah. Um, so
0: interrupting it and bringing people together who can have these conversations. I mean, I think there is such a real power there.
1: Um, oh, 100 percent. And especially in organizations like looking again at nonprofits, having trustees and boards, like, I mean, they help govern your nonprofit. So to not have any representation of any sort of diverse voice is wild to me. And like, these are leadership roles and that's what you needed. It's one thing to have some, you know, a handful of diverse volunteers in an organization that helps you do volunteer work. But what about the paid work or like the higher level volunteer work where you're a board, you're on the board of directors, you help govern the organization, you help the, the organization move and navigate, right? Those, yes. are, those are the positions where we need to have representation,
0: right? Right. right. Oh, are you still there? Oh yes, Sorry, I am. Sorry, got like, <laughs> kind of, like. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's again. I think when you talk about like the performative, um, element of it, like people can say diverse hires really easily, yes. but yes. then actually having diverse leadership. And yeah. that it's not just checking boxes and life experience matters. And you're so right. Like you can't really quantify that and you can't necessarily put it on a resume. Um, and it has such an impact on the work that people are doing.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And,
0: and, and it also like,
1: um, you know, it in when you have, different people from different walks of life, different backgrounds, diverse perspectives, right? You're now tapping into different pools of people, right? Because those people relate to other people with similar or shared experiences, right? Yes. And 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 because these organizations aren't doing that, you're kind of appealing to the same type of people, you're going to plateau out, right? Yes. And I, I can't remember, someone posted that I, I was reading a statistic, and it was talking about how there's this like common misconception in this narrative that BIPOC individuals don't access nature and don't actually care about you know you know the environmental movement and things like that but it's actually these are the communities that are affected by climate change the most they and they also access nature more than um than we're given credit for right and so it's really interesting this narrative but but when you hear that you hear things like that. I mean I've heard throughout my lifetime like oh black people don't hike and like oftentimes too like I've ex- had experiences where people are surprised that I love nature, I love going outside, yeah. I love hiking, I love to swim and things like that because people don't associate black people with that, right? For some reason, right? And this this enforced narrative that's, you know, through media, through the lack of representation. It's it's a combination of a lot of things. Well, and but people are surprised. How,
0: like, land ownership and land access have worked in you know these colonized countries for so for centuries oh yeah 100 percent. yeah and and so people and but but it's it's
1: awful because then you have young individuals growing up hearing this narrative and then they're like okay this definitely isn't the space for me so they don't even so it's that's a huge barrier because that's the narrative that we all have been talking and saying and accepting and putting out there. And so these young, you know, black and Brown kids coming up are like, I don't see myself in this field and it's not for me because this is what they're saying. Right. This is what the media tells me. This is the lack of representation. is um, telling me, you know,
0: yep. Yep. Those images make a difference. Um, if- there is a book called we are each other's harvest. Ooh. Have you heard of this?
1: No, I'm writing it down.
0: Okay. Um, it's We Are Each Other's Harvest, Celebrating African-American Farmer's Land and Legacy. Okay. And I haven't read it, but I really want to. And it reminds me of you for sure. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. Um, but I feel like there are, there are more and more like books about, um, you know, BIPOC in nature and yeah. farming. Because farming is another one that like. Oh, oh, it's, just, it's all so, <laughs> so colonized. And there are some oh. great books um, that are really trying to disrupt that um, system and the narrative. Uh, but it just, it has not reached the masses yet.
1: No, no, it, it hasn't. No, but it's really funny that you bring up agriculture because it is, it's I mean, it's also, it. well, I don't know what it's like in the United States, I'm imagining it to be similar, but it is very white and often like also doesn't even really include a lot of female voices. So like, that's oh, been yeah. a huge push too in our farming community is a lot of women like pushing being like, Hey, we're farmers too. And we, we matter mm-hmm. too. And, and all of that. So it's, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's pretty yep. big.
0: It's um, I think there would be a lot that could change if we changed access to the land in all of its forms, you know, not just for enjoyment, but also in terms of production, um, and Absolutely. the community that you have when you're digging your hands in dirt. Um, yeah. there's just, there's so much there. Um, and the problem I think is like, there's so much money in keeping agriculture the way it is right now.
1: Yes, um, that's Right.
0: Ugh, the special interests here, anyway. I don't know if it's like that in Canada, like yeah. lobbies and stuff for agriculture.
1: Yeah, I feel I, I I'm I'm not too familiar, but I I I feel like it is pretty similar. I'm sure. Um, and 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 like I mean I we have a lot of like smaller. Um, you know, farms that are more, you know, organic, and they're doing yep. things in a different way. But it's all small scale farms. Yes. And, and it's the large scale farms that are the big issue too, right?
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, just like with all of the things we're talking about, the small scale totally works. Yeah. But all of us have to be supporting that, you know, we have to actually, right. it has to actually impact the big farms or the big industries. And awesome. so far, it just, I don't know that they get it yet.
1: (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Yeah, Um, it'll be interesting to see how agriculture evolves and changes over the next little while. I mean, as we try to mitigate for the impacts of climate change and and what that all all is going to look like, right? Because I think at some point, farming practices are going to have to change whether people like it or not. So,
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I feel like um, until it really starts hitting – Big eggs, bottom line. Um, but it will, like, yeah, it definitely will, and then maybe they'll respond. And then, luckily, there will already be all these other small farms who have been doing it right, and then we can just go support them, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so how can people support the work that you're doing?
1: Ah, yes, yeah. so right now with what i'm doing i'm very i'm starting off very small i'm Mm -hmm. in peterborough ontario um but i i am hoping to grow and 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 to kind of build and i love collaboration and right now we're in a beautiful time where we you know online connecting is a thing and so i'd love to collaborate and connect with different voices from you know canada from from the united states from all over and, and i'd love to do some collaborative online events so I'm, I'm open to doing that i'm trying to figure out what events will look like this year because i know from you know putting my work hat on and and uh mm-hmm. in you know in the land trust kind of sector right now it's hard for us to kind of be able to work with volunteers and get outside doing like actual physical work which is what i was hoping to do with dnc so I'm yeah. looking at other ways to kind of engage with people share knowledge so I'm always open for that and I I'm also I'm launching my website um tomorrow um so I'm super oh excited to Next to me yeah yeah it's been I've never done a website before my roommate helped me yesterday helped me navigate through a lot of frustrating little things but we're oh gonna God. have the website up which is super exciting and that so I'm sick. ready Yeah, so I'm going to be recruiting for people to join the collective and in various roles and just just people who want to kind of be involved in this movement and help spread the word. So spreading the word right now is the biggest thing. And then once I become incorporated, I can start taking donations for the work that we're doing to help us kind of develop program areas and to get equipment or contribute to kind of some restoration projects that we want to partner on.
0: I love it so much. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) I'm Um, excited. My last question that I'll leave you with is just whether you're reading anything that you're enjoying right now or have read recently.
1: Oh, gosh. That is a good question. What have I. (laughs) I honestly, I have been reading a lot of articles and different things online. I haven't really been reading. That totally um... counts. (laughs) Okay, good. Well, um, I've been loving um, intersectional environmentalists Instagram page, I've been reading and watching different videos they've been putting up, which has been yeah. awesome. Totally and love uh,
0: them. I think yeah. I might have found them because of you actually.
1: Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> they always post amazing stuff and, and it, it just talks about the intersectionalities of everything. And it's just, it's fantastic. And I've been learning a lot through yeah. that page and, and you know, the, the videos that they've been putting out and the literature they've been kind of, you know, tagging in their posts and stuff. So it's, that's, that's a big source of information for me.
0: Oh, that that is been, so cool. Yeah. yeah that's a yeah. great page. Um, yes. Well, Patricia, thank you so much for joining me and chatting and telling us what you're up to. Um, I'm so glad that we connected.
1: me too it's been this has been awesome and and it's so great to have connected with you because we like you said we probably wouldn't have otherwise so this is great I know (laughs) all of your posts too about about the books and and BIPOC representation in books is something you know as a as a young kid like I didn't have Mm -hmm. and seeing the stuff that you promote is fantastic because I I love I love seeing you know more of these books it makes, it gives me hope for, for my
0: future kids. Yes. <laughs> yes, totally. The youth of today definitely, hopefully will have access to more representation than previous generations, but we got a long way to go.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we sure do. <laughs> um, well, it's been really lovely to chat with you and um, I'm sure we'll, you know, stay in touch, but thank you again for, for spending some of your afternoon with me. Absolutely. Anytime.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This is great. <laughs> definitely. Definitely.
0: Okay, we'll have a good rest of your day.
1: You as well. Take care. I'll bye.
0: Patricia, bye. Yeah, bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to our conversations on representation. Um One thing that I wanted to just tack on to the end here is that Patricia and I had some follow-up conversation. Um, One of the things that I was thinking a lot about was the idea of land trusts getting land and getting insights and um, information from First Nations but not actually giving the land to First Nations um, communities. So I was I was curious about that. And um, so Patricia and I had some dialogue around it. And essentially, um, the First Nations communities, because the reserves are federally owned, um, and this is all because of the Indian Act, um, they actually can't acquire land, um, which is mind-boggling to me but um essentially what the land trust is doing and working towards is handing over the management of the acquired lands to the first nations communities and they can use them for traditional hunting and ceremony and um Conservation and all of the things like being able to actually use it as their own um, because they aren't able to actually acquire that land the land trust is not only utilizing indigenous knowledge and practices um, in their overall practices but also trying it seems to really give as much autonomy Um, over the land as possible to the First Nations communities um, around that land. So, but this is something I want to learn more about, and I would love to have more conversations about it because um, I think the issue of land ownership and power and colonialism are so interconnected. um, And the idea of land trusts kind of handing over the management of the land to First Nations is, um, is an interesting concept to me. Um, but I also then get to wondering about actual land ownership and what that means and the idea that the First Nations communities aren't actually allowed to acquire land. Um, so, My messages are always open if you feel like having more uh follow-up conversation about that but thank you to patricia for um continuing the conversation with me as i had (laughs) all of these other questions that the conversation prompted um okay that's all i have for today thanks again for being here and stay tuned because we will actually have another episode up in the next week or so um i hope everyone is enjoying the start to their spring And we will talk to you later.